Very often, very often when I am getting ready in the mornings to go into the office, I'll put the radio on just to kind of hear what's happening in the country or in the weather. And the other day, actually the beginning of this week, I was struck by what I heard in successive news stories. And I thought they said something about what's really important. See, the first news story was about the Powerball jackpot and how they were expecting it to grow to about $2 billion. The second news story was about a particular diamond that was going to be auctioned off in a couple of days, the Fortune Pink Diamond, a pear-shaped, vivid pink diamond. They thought it was going to sell for somewhere around $25 million dollars actually ended up selling for $28.5 million. The third story that followed was about how it's going to be difficult for some people to get an iPhone 14 because the demand is so high for that this year. And maybe because of the passage that I was working on, it, it just kind of struck me. Because very often, people make this complaint about the church. All they ever talk about is money. Now, I don't think that's a valid complaint, but think about those three news stories. All they ever talk about is money. That's what they were all about. And, you know, you continued on with stock market stuff. There was a lot about money because money is an important piece of our culture. Berean has a history of open-handed generosity of giving without heavy-handed appeals and manipulation, but just giving to God out of what He has blessed us with. In fact, I was thinking about the harvest offering, which is, of course, coming up next week, and thinking about how over the years we have said this is a response of our heart to God for thankfulness for what He has done for us during the past year And over the 13 years that I've been here, I didn't go back and check the records, but I know just about what is given every year. And I thought, the people of Berean have given over half a million dollars in the harvest offering over these years. And then I was thinking about the fact that that Tom Sloan, in his estate, left Berean a very sizable gift for which we're thankful. Louis Roberts left us a gift in his estate. Maybe some of you have planned in your estate planning to give to Berean or to another Christian organization. It's certainly something to consider. Open-handed generosity. But it's about more than money. And pastors, depending on who we are, we often feel a little uncomfortable talking about money. But Paul didn't. And the truth is, even when we're in a time like this of great inflation, It's good for us to step back and think about being generous with open hands. Paul deals with open-handed generosity in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and we're not going to look at both chapters, but if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, because we'll be looking at some verses in the early part of what Paul is doing. Paul is appealing to his readers, the Corinthian church, about a gift that was being collected, not their regular giving to their local church, but rather a gift that was being collected to minister to the poor saints in Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem had been through several famines in the land. They experienced persecution. 
Many of them, because of their faith in Jesus, had lost their jobs. Some of them had heard their family members say to them, you are dead to me because of your faith in this Jesus. And they were in financial trouble. The apostles in the book of Acts had urged Paul in his traveling to remember the poor, and that's one of the things he's doing. Paul's desire, I think, was that Gentile churches would send financial help to Jerusalem, and that would help to bind Jew and Gentile together in Christ. And the Corinthian church had begun to collect funds for this, and then they stopped. And we don't know exactly why they stopped. It could be because they and Paul were going through a time of friction. But for whatever reason, they stopped, and now Paul is urging them to start again. But Paul knows, as I said earlier, that open-handed generosity is about more than just money. And we're going to see that in this passage. We're going to see that that open-handed generosity is more than just giving to meet a need like the Corinthians were being urged to, or giving to hit a budget target like sometimes we urge you to do. That open-handed generosity goes beyond money to ourselves and all that we have, including our abilities and our time. And in these verses that we're going to look at, there's certainly much more in the overall passage, Paul teaches us two biblical realities about our giving, about open-handed generosity of all kinds. And he begins with these words, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Grace has been given. Grace is a key word in this chapter and in chapter 9. It occurs seven times in chapter 8. And the particular way Paul uses the verb here indicates that those Corinthians have received grace, but that that grace is still working in their lives and it will continue to work in their lives. That they stand graced and it shows in their generosity So what Paul is telling us is, here's a biblical reality. Giving is a mark of God's grace at work in us. One way we reveal that we know God and that we are growing in our faith is by our giving. In fact, Paul says it's not the only way, but it is a key way. And he gives three examples. The first example is those churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia would have been especially, we know of them from Acts, Philippi, Thessalonica, and appropriately, Berea, the Bereans. Those were churches that were under persecution. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And because of the persecution, they are going through pressure. And yet Paul says, here's an example. Here is what they did. God's grace was so much at work in their lives that they gave amazingly to the offering for believers in Jerusalem. Notice Paul didn't say, you know, those folks, they were so altruistic. They were, they were so uh, generous. He also doesn't say, look at me. What a fundraiser am I 
I mean, even those churches with what they were going through gave. You see what he says about their giving? He says, it is rooted in the grace of God that was given to them. They are being tested by affliction. They're under persecution. They're under pressure. And they are in extreme, literally very deep poverty. And yet they gave. And Paul says, they overflowed with joy and they had extreme poverty. Notice how he links them. It's an unusual linking. Joy and poverty. And yet his point is that their joy was so great that it overwhelmed the depth of their poverty. And so they overflowed, same word as abundance, overflowed with a wealth of generosity. They're an example of the reality that giving is a mark of God's grace at work in us. Grace motivated them to give. It was not manipulation. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't, we've got to do this. It was grace. The story is told of a pastor, and I don't recommend this, but a pastor who was really hammering on the need to give because the church building was in bad need of repairs. And as he was preaching, and I don't recommend this, he looked continually at the richest man in town who was sitting there in the congregation. And when he finished his sermon, the man stood up and he said, Pastor, I will give $1,000 toward the repair work. And, and no sooner had he said that than a piece of plaster fell from the floor and hit him. And he said, Pastor, I'll give $5,000 toward the repair work. And he sat down and another piece of plaster fell and hit him. And he stood up and said, make that $10,000. And about that time, another piece fell off and hit him. And he said, $20,000. And a deacon was heard to shout from the back, hit him again, Lord, hit him again. <laughs> Can I suggest to you that that's not good motivation for giving? Guilt, manipulation, not even crisis but the grace of God at work. Paul says that was what was at work in those believers in Macedonia. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. He says, I didn't tell them. I didn't manipulate them. They gave because they wanted to give. In fact, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul says, I didn't beg them. In fact, I didn't even want to ask them because I knew their poverty. They were really in need of help themselves, but they begged me. Somehow they'd heard about the offering and they begged Paul to be part of it, to be part of the favor of taking part. That word favor literally is the grace, the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. They begged to show grace by giving. And they gave, Paul says, according to their means, according to their power. No, no, actually, they gave beyond their means. They gave beyond what they were able to give they gave sacrificially to this offering because of their joy and because of the grace of God at work in them. But before they ever gave a cent, Paul says, 
And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. There's the root of generosity. Literally, themselves they gave. Paul emphasizes it because giving is about more than just money. It's about giving ourselves. That's what God wants. He wants us. And out of that is the root of generosity. And Paul was surprised. He says, this wasn't what we expected. They are new believers, and yet they got it. They got that God owns it all. He's entrusted some of it to us, and we are now able to give out of what he has given to us, but we give ourselves first. See, giving is about more than how you use your debit card. It's about more than how you use your automatic transfers from your bank account. It's about more than how you write a check. It's about more than the size of your gift. It's about the heart. That's what God wants. He wants our heart more than He wants our money. And once we understand that He owns it all anyway, then we open our hands and we let go. Because we understand that all we are and all we have is because of His grace to us. And the Macedonian churches got that. And so, in joy, in their deep poverty, they gave with open-handed generosity. Paul gives a second example. This time, it's the Corinthian church, and it's not what they did, but what they need to do. Because in contrast with the churches in Macedonia, the church in Corinth is well off. They lived in a seaport town. Much of the wealth of the Roman Empire, much of the shipping of the Roman Empire flowed through Corinth. Many of them had what they needed and far beyond. And they were not primarily under persecution either. And so Paul writes to them and he says, I want you to know about what the Macedonian churches have done. Accordingly, because of that, verse 6 we urge Titus, who had just been to visit them in Corinth, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. You know how God's grace has been demonstrated in the churches of Macedonia, demonstrated in Corinth in your lives as well. They had begun to collect funds, but they stopped, as I said earlier. They had begun, in fact, they were so engaged in it that they had written to Paul, and Paul's response is recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 16. They had asked, how should we go about this collection? And Paul had given them some guidance. But now, he says, you need to get back at it. You need to get back at work. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you. He says, you guys have all kinds of spiritual abilities and gifts. You excel. In fact, that, that's the same word that's used in verse 2. You overflow. You have an abundance of these things. But see that you excel. You overflow in this act of grace also. See, Paul understood something. He understood that for all of the giftedness, for all of the service they were doing, 
if they did not get a hold of the idea of grace giving, their spiritual life would be stunted. Not that it's the only way of showing God's grace, not that it's the only way of growing, but it's an important area. And if we don't learn to give out of open hands and generous hearts, then our spiritual life will never grow to the point where it ought to. Paul goes on in verse 8 to say, and I say this not as a command. I'm not ordering you to do this, but to prove by the earnestness of others, the Macedonians, that your love is also genuine. Says your giving is a sign of God's grace. It's a sign of God's love at work. It's a sign of your love for others. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about love to the Corinthians. In that letter, he addresses it. One of the things he says is, if you don't have love, you can give all you have. You can give your body to be burned, and it won't matter at all. And now Paul says, but when you have love, it will show in your giving of yourself, of your abilities, of your time, of your finances. With giving without love is worthless, but giving can show love. And so Paul says, you need to be doing that. Then he moves on to a third example, an example that shows that love, and it's the example of Jesus. Verse 9, for as you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, it's emphatic, he became poor so that you, emphasis again, by his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich. We saw that in Philippians 2. He lived worthy of all praise and all glory. And he lived in heaven, a perfect place. And he owned everything. He's creator and sustainer of all. And yet he chose to come into our broken world as one of us. He chose to live a life where he didn't have a lot. In fact, at one point he says, the foxes have dens, the birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. And then in the ultimate act of love and giving, he died on a cross for your sins and my sins. So that through his giving, his poverty, you and I could become rich. We could have a restored relationship with God. We could have a home in heaven, eternal life, the presence of the Spirit in our lives. All of those riches that come to us because of what Christ did in becoming poor. His grace giving then serves as an example. And what an example. How can we not be open-handed when we look at what Jesus has done for us. And so Paul takes those three examples and he says, giving is a mark of God's grace at work in our lives. Because you see, genuine open-handed giving is not natural. In myself, I suspect in yourself, we're pretty selfish. We tend to hang on things. Oh, we might give for some self-centered motives, like if I had the ability, I might give a big chunk of money to a school so they'd put my name on a building. 
Or we might give so that, hey, I, I get a tax deduction. I got I to give so I can get this right off. Or we might give because we somehow want to impress people who see us give. We might give because we're being manipulated or we're being guilted into giving. But when we give without any thought for our gain, out of love and gratitude for all that God has given to us, that's a demonstration of the work of God in our lives. That's not wrong to put people's names on buildings. It's not wrong to get a tax write-off. None of those things are wrong, but that can't be our ultimate motivation. If we want to keep growing and we want to experience God's blessing, we need to give of ourselves. We need to give of our time, of our abilities, of our stuff. Some of you did that yesterday. You raked leaves, you cut down or cut up wood. Some of you do it on a regular basis, serving in ministries, and you're doing it hopefully not because somebody twisted your arm and guilted you into it. You're doing it because you love Jesus and you want to demonstrate that His grace is at work in your lives. So we need to ask ourselves, how am I doing? How does my giving of myself, how does my giving of my money demonstrate that God owns it all and my hands are open and when I, my hands are open, it frees me then to minister. When Peggy and I were on vacation last spring, we were at the beach. And one of the things we like to do in addition to sitting and reading is to watch people. People are very interesting on the beach. And this particular day, we saw a young man in his middle or late teens with a, a young lady with him, girlfriend, sister, I don't know. But they were digging a, a big hole but he was holding on to a large inflatable fish or dolphin. We kind of jokingly called him fish boy. Because we watched him with this inflatable fish under his arm and he's trying to dig the hole. And we kept saying, put the fish down, man. You dig a lot better if you get rid of what you're hanging on to. Hmm. And you and I would serve a lot better if we'd open our hands and let go of everything we're hanging on to. Which really brings us to the second biblical reality that Paul addresses. Giving is a way we minister God's grace to others. We let go and it allows us to serve when we're generous with our time and our abilities and our resources. We're actually ministering and sharing God's grace with other people. He gives an example. The churches of Macedonia. We want you to know, Corinthians, about the Macedonians and their giving. Why? So that they will serve as an example that motivates you. So their giving ministered to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians did give. Romans tells us they did. And really, their giving ministered grace to us, doesn't it? Because through the centuries, they have stood as an example of grace giving. The second example we've talked about is the example of Jesus. His giving ministered to every one of us who are followers of Jesus. His love, his poverty brought God's riches to us. So his giving ministered God's grace to us. The third example is the Corinthian church again. 
because Paul wants to use grace as a motive for them to minister to other people. Not guilt, not manipulation, but grace as a motivation to serve. And so Paul writes these words beginning in verse 10. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. See, Paul firmly believes that God's grace is at work in the Corinthian church. He says, you had a desire. In fact, he says that twice. You have this willingness to do it. Now it needs to be matched by a readiness, by a willingness to be eager in completing it. And I believe that's true of you. So now, he says, finish. Complete, actually, the same word. Allow the grace of God to minister through you to finish what you have been doing. And if you do it, he says, you will benefit. Why will you benefit? Because it's part of our spiritual growth. If we are open-handed and giving generously, we will grow in other areas spiritually as well. In Acts, you find in Acts chapter 3, the example of a man named Barnabas, and most of us know him very well, but I don't think many people knew him in Acts 3. When he generously sells some property and gives that money to minister to some of the poor, and that was a stretch probably for Barnabas, and yet in that being stretched, he grows. And so within a few chapters, you find him as a companion of the apostle Paul. His giving was part of his spiritual growth. And so Paul can say to the Corinthians, if you give, it will benefit you. We are called to give, notice what he says, out of what we have, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. See, I know some of you sitting here, some of you watching, you don't have much. And you're saying, Pastor, I, I, I can't give a lot. I don't have a lot. And I love the balance that Paul brings here because he just used an example, right, of the, the, the Macedonian Christians who gave above what they were able to do, but he says to the Corinthians, I don't expect that of you. God works differently in different people. God stirred them to give sacrificially. All I'm asking of you is to give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Give out of the abundance that God has given to you. Because he says, my goal is not to make you poor. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. It could be Paul saying, as you give generously, there may come a day when the church in Jerusalem will have money and they'll need to help you. Or he may be saying, you know, they've already helped you because they were instrumental in the gospel spreading and eventually reaching you. 
He says, I want fairness. Now, please don't read into that. Paul is saying everybody needs to have exactly the same income. He's not promoting communism or socialism. What he's saying is, I want the abundance that you have to be used in fairness to meet the lack that these others have. And it's totally your voluntary choice, but I'm calling you to examine how God has blessed you. And then he closes with the example of manna from Exodus chapter 16. In 2 Corinthians 8, 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. I've often read that verse and wondered, does that mean, we're never told it in the Old Testament, but does that mean in the wilderness there were times when people gathered too much manna and they shared it with people who hadn't gathered enough? Maybe. But I know what Paul is ultimately saying. He's saying, gather what you need. Be concerned about what you need. Don't hoard the extra because hoarding stinks. With manna, that was quite literal right? You remember how if they gathered too much and they tried to keep it for the next day, it developed worms and it stunk? Paul's saying the same holds true of our money. If we're hoarding it, that stinks. Instead, figure out what God wants you to do with that surplus and share it with others. He'll bring this whole theme into a landing for a landing in chapter 9 when he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Share as God calls you to and allow the grace to flow. Giving is a way we minister God's grace to others. And so we ask ourselves, how can what I have, my house, my car or cars, my abilities, my time, my bank account, how can they minister grace to other people? See, too often we we view our things or our surplus as something to cling to. So we get a raise and we buy a bigger house even though we don't need it. Or we buy a new car, even though our old car is just fine. Or we buy all kinds of luxuries. None of those things are wrong. Please don't hear me saying you never buy houses or cars or things. But when God gives us a surplus, we ought to ask, how does God want me to use this? Are there others' needs that I can help to meet? And the key is our attitude. The key is our heart. Because He knows when we can't give. He also knows when we don't give, but we could. One commentator, Scott Haffman, says, giving is not a way of showing God how much we can do for him, but a way of illustrating how much God has done for us. It's a response to his grace. And so open-handed generosity is a core value of Berean, not so that Berean gets rich, but so that you and I benefit. Because it's a mark of God's grace at work in us, and it's a way that we in turn share that grace with others. And this morning, if you're here in the worship center or you are watching online and you don't know Jesus as Savior, 
God doesn't want your money. He doesn't. He wants you. He wants what we read in Philippians 2 to be true of you, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He wants you to give yourself to him, to repent of your sins and come in faith in what Christ did to him for salvation. And then we can talk about all the rest of it. But that's where it starts. And if you do know Christ, then the challenge for me, the challenge for you is to open our hearts and open our hands and not cling to things, but to surrender and to give. A man by the name of Mike Herman wrote into a magazine that I subscribed to a number of years ago. And he says, I've been going to professional baseball games and trying to get a souvenir baseball as far back as I can remember. Guilty. A foul ball, a homer, even a batting practice ball, anything would do. He continues on to say he was at a baseball game of the St. Louis Cardinals. And he was not too far away from the field itself in his seat. And there was a little boy of five named James who was near him. And the little boy was calling out to the players trying to get a ball. But he didn't know all the players and he had trouble pronouncing their names. And so Mike began to share with him, this is that player's name. And, and he was kind of coaching him. And the little boy would call and the players would turn and wave, but nobody threw him a ball. Mike says, finally, I told James he could have my ball if I caught one. I'd been unsuccessful in catching a ball for almost 28 years. So it felt like a safe promise. I wouldn't be telling this story if you didn't know what happened. Five minutes later, I caught a ball. And yes, I gave it to James. But here's the key. I wonder how often God waits to give us something until we're willing to give it away. Hmm. Now, there's a spiritual truth from a baseball game. How often does God wait to give us something until we hold it with an open hand and give it away? See, that's open-handed generosity. Open-handed generosity means having experienced God's grace. We generously use our time, our abilities, and material resources to minister here and around the world. So how are we doing? How are we doing in showing God's grace at work in our lives? Let's pray. Father, we tend to look and think about money. We tend to look and think about material things and think they're our own. When in reality, everything we have has come from your hand. And Lord, we as Americans are blessed. Even those among us who have much less have been blessed. So help us not to cling. Help us not to hoard. Help us to use what you have given to us, whether it's material things or time or abilities, especially ourselves and our lives to show your grace at work and to minister your grace to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.